It's time for Drive-By Theology with Dr. Steve Lawson and Todd Friel. It's time to get warm and fuzzy. Welcome to Lecture 11 of Drive-By Theology, talking about theology proper, understanding the characteristics, the nature, the attributes of God, dippied up into two columns. We have been talking about the incommunicable attributes, the stuff we don't get, We are now segueing to the communicable attributes. These are attributes that talk about God's character and nature. And we get a little, just a little bit of these ourselves. So let's dive in to the communicable attributes of God, tackling these by putting them into two categories. The communicable attributes of God are going to be divvied up into severity column and kindness column. Where do we get that idea from? The Bible, Romans eleven twenty two, behold then the kindness and severity of God. Romans eleven twenty two tells us that some of God's attributes they're severe and they're they're kind of scary. Things like justice and righteousness and wrath and jealousy. We're going to tackle those later. First, the warm and fuzzy, Steve. These are the ones. Well, Joel Osteen loves these. Is what I'm trying to say. These are the only ones he talks about. Well, and the truth is, there is no understanding of God's kindness without also understanding his severity. I mean, we know that it's the bad news that makes the good news good news. And the severity of God makes the kindness of God all the more precious to us. So even as we start with the kindness of God, it's really almost like a diamond placed onto a black velvet backdrop. It's that black velvet backdrop that makes the diamond shine even brighter. And so we praise God for his severity because it makes his kindness all the more precious, valuable to us. So yes, let's talk about his kindness. And there's a lot of those. Now, it's interesting, at least the way that we have these divvied up, because there's a lot of ways to slice the systematic theology pie. Yeah, I just listed several, four or five of the severe column attributes of God. But look at the kindness column. I see it. Goodness, mercy, grace, patience, kindness, compassion, love, truthfulness, wisdom. Before we embark on this, To help us understand the composite of God, he certainly pours out his wrath. He is a jealous God. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. Is God just kind of mad, like a scary father that comes into the house and makes everybody shake? No, that's not the picture of God at all, although we will not diminish in any way that he is a God of wrath and a consuming fire and a God of vengeance. But at the same time, God has infinite love for his people, for his chosen bride, the church. God has abounding kindness and goodness, and his kindness and goodness is so overflowing that there is a measure of even kindness and goodness in common grace that spills upon those who are under his wrath as well, because God is good not only to the righteous, but also to the unrighteous, as he causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. So God is both, but we praise him that he has dealt so kindly with us. So without setting the severe attributes aside, because we don't want to minimize and change our understanding of God to make it seem a little more palatable, when I think of God, is it safe for me to say that God is, just to use different terms, he's nice, he's likable, he's attractive in that 
he's not just this really scary bully on the block kind of, or the drunk dad who comes home and everybody gets scared. That my overall understanding of God is that he's a God of goodness. Yes. Listen to Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Look at Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He is infinitely good. And it's his kindness that should lead us to repentance. Absolutely. It's not that we don't pretend that the justice and righteousness and anger and wrath business isn't there. That makes the kindness of God shine even brighter. And that is the thing that, if you will, should turn us toward him. Yes, it should. So what we're looking at in this study is vitally important, Todd, for us to have a comprehensive understanding of who God is. That God is good, Psalm 119.68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes, Genesis 131. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So even what God makes is good because he is good. Yes, his goodness is just pouring out to us, James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. God's goodness is just coming down upon us. Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. And where did God learn how to be so good? He didn't learn how to be good. God is good, and therefore everything that God does is good. He's the standard. He didn't write it down and say, those are ideals. I'll shoot for that. No, he just is. And he is not only the standard of all goodness, he is the source of all goodness. It's all flowing out of God. And it's the opposite of evil. It's a holy goodness. Completely different and set aside. And for us, while we get a little bit of goodness and are fallen, busted with our Adamic nature, anything that we do pales in comparison to the goodness of God. Yes, and even our goodness is tainted with our own depravity and corruption. And let's be honest, I can be good to my kids, especially when they're being good. Being good to wicked people, being good to God-haters is staggering for us to ponder. Yes, but yet God causes his goodness to come upon even his enemies. Some more of the attributes of the column of kindness in theology proper, mercy, grace, and patience. God's mercy is his goodness upon those who are suffering misery and who are distressed. God's grace is his goodness upon those who are undeserving. And God's patience is his long-suffering towards those who are disobedient to him. And I can be patient with obedient ones, but when somebody's disobedient, think children, I lose my patience. God never does. Does God ever blow a stack? Well, God never overreacts. God never is out of control. God never goes into a rage to the point that whatever he does is not right and proper. So he will show his wrath, but it's not like, That's like somebody who just loses it. It is always the right and appropriate response to what is before him. And it takes, it seems, a long time for that to happen. Think of the Canaanites 400 years sacrificing their babies. Yes. And he was patient before he commanded the children of Israel to move in and wipe them out. And think of his long-suffering toward us 
how he continued to make overtures of grace towards us before we believed upon Christ. Yeah, that personalizes it. Second Samuel twenty four fourteen, Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's two attributes in one Bible verse. Yes, Second Corinthians one three says that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is gracious. First Peter five ten. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. He will take care of you. He will make things perfect one day. The God of all grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. Exodus, Old Testament 33, 19. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. How intentional is the kindness, the goodness, and the compassion of God. And finally, patience. God's patience. He withholds his anger and judgment from those who sin over time. Uh, Numbers 14 verse 18 says, "...the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but..." And here's the severity, he will by no means clear the guilty. Nevertheless, he is slow to anger. So would this be a fair sentence? God is not mean. Is that a fair statement? That is a fair statement because God is not a bully. God is not one to unnecessarily provoke a situation or us. Whenever God pours out his judgment, it is always perfectly deserved. Here's another sentence. You tell me if this goes down okay. God is tender. Yes, God is tender. He is tender in his mercies toward us. There is this softness about God's love toward us at times, his gentleness towards us, the deep feelings that he has, his affections towards us. That's what the word compassion means, that you feel something down in the pit of your stomach. God is not a stoic sovereign. He's not a robotic redeemer. God is very tender-hearted towards us. Will you accept this statement? God has emotions, but he's not emotional. Yes, I will accept that. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. God can be grieved. God does have emotions, but he is not an emotional roller coaster. So he's not like a teenager. Correct. All right, but he does have emotions. Now, I suspect that some people who are perhaps a little bit weary of all the squishy, mushy-gushy preaching that they hear about repeated, you know, God loves you and he wants to just hug you, will hear these attributes of God and might actually recoil a little bit because they've seen such abuse of yes. these attributes. Don't let that happen. Just because some bad preachers have done bad things with good theology, yes. don't let that rob you of the joy of understanding God's attributes of kindness. Oh, Yes, his love is so strong toward us. It's not a weak, wishy-washy, touchy-feely love. It is tender but strong love that he has for us, and at times a tough love that he has for us. But it is love. God also is compassionate, Deuteronomy 4.31. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. 
God's compassion, I think, is best appreciated when we understand how much he has to condescend, that he actually comes down from heaven to stoop for us. He does, and he does so to identify with us and to feel with us in our affliction. He has suffered with our affliction when we are afflicted, the psalmist says. What a wonderful truth this is, that God is in communion with us. We are in union with him, and we have such a close relationship with him. He's not callous, like, oh, whatever. Ah, that's not God. No. He actually has compassion for us. Yes. Another attribute of God's kindness, the love of God Not a romantic love, not family type of love, but an agape love. What's In English, we've got one love. You know, the Backstreet Boys sing about love. Air Supply sings about love. We sing about love. There's a difference, though, in the Greek language in the different types of love. And there is. The word eros refers to a physical, even erotic love. Phileo speaks of a brotherly friendship type of love. But the word that is used most prominently regarding God's love toward us is an agapeo love, or an agape love, by which he unconditionally loves us to the point that he sacrificially gives of himself to seek our highest good. That's what love does. True love is sacrificial. It's costly love. It gives of itself. And not for selfish good, but to actually seek the highest good of the one upon whom that love is set. This is, again, counter and better to most of the mushy-gushy love preaching that you hear. You know, God just needs to squeeze your cheeks and, oh, he thinks you're so adorable. This is better. It sounds hard up front. The value of an object is what one places on it. Yes. Our value, intrinsically, nothing. We are spiritually bankrupt. And yet God God says, I love you. That demonstrates his great love. And once again, can cause me to go, oh, good, because if it were up to me to be loved, I'd be in big trouble. There is nothing in us that drew the love of God toward us. This love originated in God. It is a self-initiating love within God that is sovereignly directed toward us. We are now trophies of his grace. He has set his loving kindness upon us who are so undeserving and so unworthy. That's why John Newton wrote a hymn like, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. When you understand how unlovable we were, how unloving we were, then we see that this grace is extraordinary, amazing grace. And it takes our eyes off of us and it puts it on him. First John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is God versus God is love. Is there a difference? Yes, there is a huge difference because to say that God is love means that God's very character and his being and his essence is filled to overflowing with perfect love for us. To say love is God is really to underestimate and far understate the reality of God's love toward us. Yeah, and you know where that bad theology crops up? In bumper stickers and songs. All we need is love. Yeah, well, there you have it from the Beatles. Yeah, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Those great philosophers. (laughs) Now, what about the love between the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Well, it's perfect love, inter-Trinitarian love within the Godhead, the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, and then their love inclusive of the Holy Spirit as well. And what is so amazing is John 17, 24 tells us that the very love that the Father has for the Son, think of how inexhaustible, unconditional, full to overflowing that love is, is the very love that God has for us who are in Christ. Same love. Same love. Staggering. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God demonstrates his love by saving sinners. God demonstrates his love manifests for all to see with a public execution of his own son. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3, 4 through 5, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the granddaddy of all love verses has got to be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All of these kindness attributes of God have monstrously big implications. If you're struggling in your battle with sin, maybe you're not remembering how kind God has been to you, how loving God has been toward you, how patient God has been with you, it can actually serve as a curb for sin. Yes, because you do not want to hurt the one who loves you so much. You want to be pleasing to them and not displeasing. It can enhance my worship if it's a little flat. Yes, as our hearts are warmed, as we consider the love of God towards us. How I treat my spouse and children. Yes, we are to love others as God in Christ has loved us. Esteeming them as better than myself, humbling myself the way Jesus humbled himself, even unto death, death on a cross. This can also help me to love unlovable people, can it? Yes, because God has loved his enemies. So we too are to love our enemies and those who are unkind to us. We are to demonstrate Christ-like love towards them. Now, there are just two more attributes that fall underneath the kindness umbrella that aren't maybe as mushy-gushy, but are still really cool to ponder. God's truthfulness and wisdom. How do we know that God is truth? Well, because the Bible says that God (laughs) is the true God and that everything that he says is true. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life, John 14, 6, John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jeremiah 10, 10 through 11. Exodus 34, 6, Psalm 31, 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Isaiah 65, 16. Psalm 111, 7 through 8. Titus 1, 2. Oxygen. Numbers 23, 19. All point to God is truth. Now, he doesn't write the rules. He didn't think things over. Ponder what could be truthful. Here's the bar. He is the standard. Truth is based on God, and anything that is not truthful is not from God. He is the God of truth. His Son is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. 
His word contains truth, and the word truth simply means reality. It's the way things really are. Everything is what God says it is. Salvation is what God says it is. Hell, heaven is what God says it is. Sin is whatever God says it is. God is the source and the standard of all truth. And God is wise, another kindness attribute seen in Job 9.4, Job 12.13. With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding, Romans 16.27. We see God's wisdom in creation, Psalm 104.24, Proverbs 3.19. We see God is wise in redemption, Romans 11.33 and Ephesians 3.10. God is wise in providence. Running a universe requires some wisdom. Now, those are two more attributes of God's kindness. The implications for all of this are huge. With the black backdrop of the severity attributes of God, we can appreciate God more because of his attributes of kindness. This was Lecture 11 of Drive-By Theology.